in this Bible uh, for the first bit is called Timothy's Encouraging Report. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make our love increase, sorry, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you may will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Now in chapter 4, heading here is living to please God. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in a passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other, and in fact you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. So make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Thank you, Tim. Um, let's pray, and um, I'm going to show you uh, a clip. I hope you're not roiled out yet. I've got one last bit of royal stuff to show you. Father, I pray that through your word this morning, you will change us a little bit more into real us, the one that you created, will shine out through the work of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, I just want to ask Alex to play this clip, but I think it will speak for itself, and if not, I'll explain it. In the past, all a king had to do was look respectable in uniform and not fall off his horse. Now we must invade people's homes and ingratiate ourselves with them. My husband is, um, well, he's required to speak publicly. Why are you here then? Because I bloody well stammer! Perhaps he should change jobs. He can't. My castle, my rules. And what of my husband with the Duke of York? Duke of York? Yes. 
the Duke of York. Your darling brother and future king. It was a relief, knowing I wouldn't be king. Your impediment is in a permanent part of you. What do you think, Mr. Cole? Bertie? Bertie? What is it about David that stops you speaking? He's scared. He's afraid of his own shadow. This fellow could really be somebody great. I don't care what woman you carry on with at night, as long as you show up for duty in the morning. Does the king do what he wants? Or does he do what the people expect him to do? I'm not an alternative to my brother. You can outshine David. Don't take liberties! War with Germany will come. And we will need a king whom we can all stand behind united. You're very much your own man, Bertie. Should His Majesty continue to ignore the advice of his government, he must abdicate. You all know the reasons which have impelled me to renounce the throne. Your Majesty. Naval officer, that's all I know. <laughs> I'm not a kick. The nation believes that when I speak, I speak for them, and I can't speak. My job was to give them faith in their own voice and let them know that a friend was listening. I'm very much afraid, sir, that your greatest test is yet to come. Listen to me! Listen to you by what right? By divine right of you must. I'm your king. No, you're not. You told me so yourself. You said you didn't want it. Why should I waste my time listening? Because I have a right to be. I have a voice! Yes, you do. Bertie, it's time. Forget everything else. And just say it to me. Say it to me as a friend. second time in the lives of most of us, we are at war. Thank you, Logan. Well done, my friend. Thank you, Your Majesty. seen that film? You know what it's about? Um, the great line in it where it says, uh, why should I waste my time listening to you? We're looking at um, the Thessalonian church. We're looking at um, it through the lens of authentic- authenticity, what it means to be an authentic Christian, to live in the life that we were called to live in and that other people will then see and understand what we're about. That film, um, which I think, despite its hype, I think is every bit as good as people say, it cost 10% of what it cost to make Prometheus. Has anyone seen Prometheus? 
Oh, I can't ask you what it was all about then, because I saw it and I haven't got a clue. Um, <laughs> but it, 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 the Prometheus is the follow-up, you know, one of the alien things, and it uh, claims to explore the meaning and origins of life and meaning. You and I watched it together, didn't we? I mean, um, I, I'd watch this film instead if I were you, if you're looking for that answer. I want to invite you uh, into what you already are under God, but may not yet realize. For you to investigate the question that there is a calling on your life which is over and above that which you may choose in your comfort zone. And that, that is the George VI story. But how to rise to the calling that circumstances thrust upon you on the way that society has moved and developed and things which have happened and which reveal and open up opportunity for you to be what you really are but could choose not to be if you don't step up to it. And um, the Jeffrey Rush line is there, my job is to give them faith in their own voice and let them know that a friend was listening. That is what Paul is doing when he writes to the Thessalonian church. He's trying to encourage them to have faith in their own voice and let them know that there is somebody there encouraging them to be what they have been called to be. There's three things I just want to bring out of that passage uh, quite briefly that lend themselves to this, this idea of fulfilling your authentic calling, becoming the person that God really wants you to be, and you changing the world around you, because each and every one of you has that opportunity. Those three things are an authentic life embraces hardship and challenge, and secondly, an authentic life is directed by God, and thirdly, an, an authentic life understands the place of holy living, or living to please God. So hardship direction and holy living. Firstly, the role of hardship, challenge in our life. Uh, Jeffrey Rush says in that film also, your impediment is not a permanent part of you. But the whole point of the film is that he strives to overcome this speech impediment in order to become what he really is, which is the king of England. And it is that struggle over the hardship that's come into his life that is the crux of the film. Without it, there really is no story. And there is no journey of him becoming from what he was as, as not the heir to the throne to suddenly being thrust into that position and eventually becoming king. And becoming king not in any old time, but in the toughest time we've known ever in our history, probably. The nearest we've ever come to destruction as a nation. The Thessalonian church was in a very similar position. They were newborn, they'd lost uh, Paul. Paul had been expelled from the city, and um, although he was able to send Timothy back to help them, they'd, they'd not got leadership and they'd not got um, what we would call maturity. They hadn't had loads of teaching, they weren't uh, experts in being Christians. But Paul recognized when he heard Timothy's report that they were being authentic Christians, authentic followers of Jesus, and he writes to encourage that in them, uh, not um, because they're having a whale of a time, but because they are overcoming challenge and hardship and becoming real, becoming authentic through it. 
all of our lives are characterized at some stage by things not going the way we planned or not going the way we dreamed or even prayed. Very few of us have idyllic, perfect, problem-free lives without challenge. I don't think that's an accident, and I don't even think it's uh, bad. I think it is part of who we are, part of our journey into becoming the person that God wants us to be, requires this attitude to hardship and suffering that embraces it and overcomes it, involves God in the middle of it, and allows ourselves to be shaped and formed by it. There's an old pithy phrase that says, you can become better or you can become bitter. And there's a, there's a huge lifestyle choice. That pivotal moment in your life, when you're faced with that choice, it determines everything about the future. Are you going to embrace this challenge, this suffering, this hardship, this disappointment, this shortcoming of expectation, and allow it to change you under God? Or are you going to fold your arms and just complain about it. Now some of those things, some of the things I'm talking about are tragic and I wouldn't belittle them for a moment. They are huge. But you still have the same choice when they happen. You can choose to embrace them, not celebrate them. I'm I'm not using that word, not saying that these things are good. But I am saying that through God, through his Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in you, good can come out of it. And it can be triumphant good. It can be world-changing. I and mean, other people see um, what's happened in you and the opportunities that's opened up in your life. Uh, I'm thinking of people who have, you know, through the most appalling circumstances, set up trust funds or charities and, and things. And, and actually, uh, it's often because they've lost a loved one to some tragedy or some disease or, or something like that. And they would give anything to have that person back. Anything. But through it, knowing that they can't have them back, they've determined, well, I'm going to help someone else. And use the memory of that person to channel that grief and tragedy into something amazing. Um, Afflictions are not always accidents. Sometimes they are appointments in life. Hardship and suffering can breed authenticity or reveal it. Um, I found this, this quite, I can't remember where I got it from now, but it's in bold, so I'll say it. Um, What life does to us depends on what life finds in us, and nothing reveals the true inner man like the furnace of affliction. Now, there there is just a truth there to embrace without um, being trivial or uh, without being rhetorical or pretending or triumphalist in any way, that actually the tough things that come our way forge us if we choose to allow them to do so. So an authentic life under God is very often formed through tough circumstances that are not of our choosing. Secondly, the authentic life under God is directed by God. He says um, to I always refer to the actors because I can't refer to it as the Queen Mother because Helena Bonham Carter isn't the Queen Mother. But he says to her, perhaps he should change jobs. And she says to him, he can't. This is before he knows who he is. 
as someone who lives to follow God, who has given their life to Christ, neither you or I can change jobs. You can't resign. It is a life that is now directed by God. And, and, and Paul writes in, May our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. He's saying, let God direct it. Please make him the center of your life and your lives will be fruitful. Who is setting your life direction? Do you go to God with what you want him to do for you or ask him what you want him to do, want you to do for him? Do you invite the Lord to give direction to every area of your life? Or if you're honest, are there areas that you'd rather he didn't touch? And I don't necessarily mean areas of sin or disobedience. I just mean areas that are mine. You know, that's my comfort zone. That's where I go and uh, do my thing. And, and I, I don't want you to touch that. In... Um, it was 1991. I was ready to move from one job to another. It's just that kind of, I now need a change sort of period. And I was offered one through someone that I was kind of working with as a colleague. He was in a different department. He offered me this job. And it was a plum job, really highly paid. Uh, it looked on the surface as if it played to my strengths. Um, it, it was quite sort of, you know, long-term relationships were needed and strategic thinking and that's that's that kind of me it suits me quite well um it was a fast development a fast track development job for the future i knew that if i wanted to go really senior this would be a really good one to do and i said god you know what i'm going to take this and i know what you're going to say you're going to tell me not to aren't you but i'm going to so just get behind me will you now you're laughing because that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? That sounds ludicrous. Doesn't that sound a ludicrous thing to say to God? I could take you to the bedroom in the house and show you the spotted carpet where I said it. I remember it so much because I knew as soon as I'd said it, there's another little voice that said inside, you're going to regret that. Because I really did sense God was telling me not to take it. Well, anyway, I, I took the job. I got immediately put onto a one-week um, you know, in all, you know, training course for it. By Wednesday of that week, I knew I'd made a mistake. I hadn't even finished the course. By the Wednesday afternoon, and so I went back to God and said, can you please rescue me from this situation? That took about seven or eight months to do, but he did. And I have never forgotten the lesson of the value of a life directed by God not just submitted to him for his approval. God, will you rubber stamp that, please? And also Paul writes, pray not just for God's direction, but pray for God's supernatural love to be birthed in you. Sometimes times of suffering, which can be very formative for us, can also breed tremendous self-centeredness and self-protection. Some people build walls in times of trial and shut themselves off. Others build bridges and draw closer to others and closer to God. That is the authentic Christian choice, to draw closer to others and closer to God in these difficult times. We must 
change how we esteem others to be authentic followers of God. God so loved the world and so must we. And slowly, very slowly, I'm coming to realise what that means as you sort of act it out in your life. So that's the second thing. Authentic life is directed by God. The third one is this. There is a call to what the Bible calls holiness, towards a life that is lived to please God. The word holiness has got unfortunate baggage. It's got um, pictures of pomposity and separateness and aloofness about it. It is nothing of the sort. It is simply a life set apart to live for God and to please him. Jeffrey Rush says, why should I waste time listening to you? Well, the answer for us is in the very last verse that Tim read. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, mind your own business, and to work with your hands. I love that. Um, So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and that you will not be dependent on anybody. He's saying, make your life do the talking. Live your life that's pleasing to God and let others see this contrasting inspirational way of living not as a condemnation but as an invitation into something. Now our our authentic Christian lives are the best form of evangelism, aren't they? They're the best form of both blessing the world and inviting the world to come in and be part of it. In the earliest stories of the Christian church um, in Jerusalem, it says you know, thousands flocked to join them and they won the grace and favor and respect of the people by the way that they lived. The word live here is literally walk and the emphasis is on actions. In what, it's what we do, um, not so much the words that we say. And when it says please God, the emphasis there is on the motives of our heart. To live as if that is the central driving desire in our lives. Why is that important today? Well, in Paul's time, the, the, the Greco-Roman ethics that they lived under were based largely on two things. One is the principle of self-interest, and the other was the respect for other people's property. There was no real sense of what we would call morality. They just said, you do what you like, but just don't touch my stuff. And my stuff includes my wife and my slaves. They're my property too. So insofar as adultery was was, uh, frowned upon, it was because it was theft. Not because it was respect for the person. I don't suggest we live in Greco-Roman society, but I think there are a lot of parallels today. It's, It's leave me alone, just do what you like, just don't touch my stuff. And this call to a higher level of living, a, living, a, a level of living that is light in the darkness, rings out truer now, I think, than at any other time. Particularly as we go through the hardship that we are currently going through as a nation, and which will probably, by the look of it, get slightly worse over the next year. How are Christians going to respond to a nation that's lost its way and been let down by money through our authentic lives. 
So hold true to what is authentically you, live as you really are, rather than be shaped by the following things, by fashionable views, by this temptation and desire just to give in for the pleasure of the moment, or the desire to be liked and accepted by others, maybe to have some stories to tell, to gain people's approval. Let me conclude with this. There's three things there. Embracing the purpose and the value of hardship, living a life directed by God, and living a holy life, which is a life lived to please God. In that final verse, live quietly, mind your own business, and work with your hands. There are a couple of key words in there. The live quietly thing doesn't mean don't make a noise. It means be at rest. It means rest in security of knowing who you are under God. Be quiet and restful in your soul. It means undisturbed, settled, not noisy, at peace, rather than literally silent. It would be a waste of time me asking any of you to do that. Paul was telling them, not to be constantly on the move, not to be frantically trying to sort their lives out, but rest in God. Get on with their own business. Don't judge and condemn other people. And a Christian who strives to be at peace with himself and with God will be a source of peace and of inspiration to other people, simply by living authentically. It just demonstrates that you are in God and at rest with yourself. And I mean with yourself, not at your worth ethic or your gifts or your talents, but you, just, just the, the, the real you, the real you that's trying to come out. And that will be, in itself, a demonstration of love for others. Why should I waste my time listening to you, he asks. And the king replies, because I have a voice. Well, each one of you has a voice. Why should anyone waste their time listening to that voice? Well, that's because you've got the secret of eternal life. You've got the message of life within you. Um, if you're not a Christian today, come and speak to me. I'll explain to you what I mean by that phrase. But for those of you who are, live it out this week. Be authentically you. Be authentically you under God. And let him direct your lives. We're going to uh, move into communion now. We're just going to rest in God and thank you for what he's done for us. I'd love it if, if those of you who are on ministry team would come, receive first, and then be available at the sides. For any of you that want prayer in this direction, if there's something about your life that is inauthentic, you don't have to confess it, just come and ask for prayer about it. There's something in your life that you feel God is calling you to do, but you are afraid of embracing it because it's challenging. Come and pray about it. Or if there's an impediment in your life that is actually holding you back, but you think God could turn around and either take away or use to form you, let's come and pray about it. Let's release the authentic you from the trappings that the world has maybe imprisoned it in and release it as we come before God in communion.